Hey, listen, if you're new to Connect Church, obviously I'm Pastor Derek, the lead pastor at Connect, and it's an honor uh, to be with you this morning. I'm really excited to get into today's message, but first, I want to just say hello and give a big shout out also to our online and our Framingham campus. Can you guys give them a, a big shout out? Come on, we love you. We're so glad you're with us. All of you in Framingham, all of you watching online live right now, we're so glad you're with us, Facebook Live, and all of you that will watch later on through YouTube, we're so grateful that you join us on a week-to-week basis. We're, um, we're in the continuation of a series, but I got a couple of quick, important announcements. Um, one, we have a really VIP person coming to connect um, on June 3rd. Um, whenever we, if you're, if you're kind of a frequent flyer or we call ourselves a family member of Connect, um, you know this. You know that we, when we have somebody come in from the outside, uh, it's not just anybody. We have friends that come in. I'm really, honestly, I'm sort of protective. I don't let, um, I don't know if this word will translate, but itinerant speakers. There are people that are calling churches and they're telling us how they do this and they do that. And I'm sure they're great, but if I don't know them or there's some, you know, not some strong reference or whatever, I'm just real protective. I want to make sure we're in the same flow and we kind of, you know, know where they're coming from and they're going to be a blessing. So, Anytime we have somebody, uh, you guys have been blessed, and we have some great people come in. But I'm telling you, um, the guest that we have coming in, or the friend that we have coming in on June 3rd, um, he, he's, he, some people call him Father Dino. He's like a pastor of pastors all over the world now. He is the director of the Association of Related Churches. So a lot of times we talk about the ARC. It is a church planting and kind of equipping organization that we partnered with, full partnered with for many years now. A, a percentage, a dedicated percentage of our total budget goes to the ark every single month to plant churches and, and to help pastors all over the world. And so you, that tithe, you get blessed for that because that's, we take a portion of everything that is given here and we give it back into life-giving churches around the nation. This man leads that whole organization and uh, they intend to plant 2,000 churches by 2020 and they're killing it. They're crushing it. Their church plants have a success rate of 93%. So if you launch a church with the ark, there is a 93% chance that you will be successful. The national average is lower than 25%. So ark just blows it out of the water. This guy is a big part of that. He's a great communicator. He pastored at one time uh, the 25th most innovative church in America. Um, he's super funny. He's a Cajun, and uh, he's a dear friend. So he's going to be here on June 3rd. His name is Dino Rizzo. Everybody say Father Dino. Father Dino will be here. You'll see stuff on social media about that. It would do me, a, you would honor me if you would be here, but you'd honor him even more. You know, sometimes when you have such an important person, a guest come to your house, you want all your kids to be there, your, your whole family to be there when the guest comes. And I'm just saying, this, it would be important for me if you guys could make that a priority. Amen. And then one more audible I called in the first service. I just wanted to tell you, um, many of you uh, got to see him. We had a special service. Uh, we flew him over uh, to uh, connect from Pakistan. How many remember Pastor John and his wife, Rachel? Raise your hand good and high if you did. Okay, so we got blessed by this evangelist who came. Uh, we, we, long story, but we, we have a relationship with uh, a pastor and his wife in uh, Pakistan, and uh, he and I have been connecting for now two and a half years probably now, two plus years. And anyway, he, I'm asking you to pray for him. The first thing is I'm asking you to pray for him if you know who I'm talking about. He's been doing crusades under the premise of healing crusades. You can't have a church service, but you can have a healing crusade. Don't get that, but for whatever reason, that's allowed in Pakistan. In a less than 1%, um, you know, uh, uh, it's a Christian nation. And it's not a Christian nation, a Muslim nation, but less than 1% are Christian. And his crusades have grown five times what they were. So just this last week, he told me he had 107,000 people at his last crusade, and over 78,000 people gave their life to Christ at the crusade. So he's affecting a nation. So we are in direct connection with him. I'm asking you to pray for him because he is under fire. And I'll just leave it at that. You can fill in the blanks. Pre please pray for he and his family's safety. Second, he's asked um, Connect to, 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 to partner with him. And so this week, I believe it's Wednesday or Thursday of this week, I'm going to do a Skype crusade. So I'm going to be live preaching in a crusade to Pakistan, the gospel, salvation message, prayer for healing and miracles from my house all the way to Pakistan, <laughs> all right? And so in order for that to be successful, 
um, he's asking for support. So we're going to be sending money tomorrow for Bibles and, and buses to ship people to, to, and, and tra transport people to this particular location where they set all this tech up for that to take place. If you want to contribute, I'm just giving you that opportunity. If, if I was, I am a giver, and as a giver, if there's something cool to sow into, it would be this. It's like literally boots on the ground make a major eternal difference. Uh, we're going to take care of it if you don't, so it's just an opportunity. You can put it on your offering envelope, you know, X number of dollars, Pakistan, we'll make it happen. Nobody knew I was going to do that, so I'm just calling that out. Amen? Pretty cool stuff, huh? All right. Well, you guys didn't sound that excited, but I think that's pretty stinking cool. Preaching in Pakistan from my living room on Wednesday, everybody. Maybe you're not getting it. Maybe you're just not getting it. Thousands of people are going to give their life to Jesus from my living room. And who knows what else? That's just amazing, everybody. It's just amazing. Wow, I'm getting fired up. This is some good preaching up in here. Woo! I had to break my own rule. All right. <laughs> Get your worship guides out, and you can follow along. All right. Uh, we're talking about my crazy family. My wife did a great job last week. She killed it on Sunday. On Monday, I called the office and resigned. <laughs> She's so good. Um, but I want to. I was going through some uh, some 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 websites, and I and I found this one website because I was thinking about. I want to kind of get you in a lane, right? We're going to talk about crazy families, so let's look at some crazy family photos. Maybe you will relate to some of these, maybe you won't, but I was on this website, myawkwardfamilyphotos.com, and the first one that I saw just got me laughing. It was just a couple, and I'm thinking, if they have kids, they're going to be really scared, but this couple looks scared to face the rest of their life. Check this out. <laughs> what? <laughs> What do you see? You know what I mean? It's just like, my gosh. So, so that got me laughing. And then I saw this next family photo, and I was like, okay, you know when you, you got kids, some of you have kids, and you're trying to, like, you're trying to wrangle them, you know? You know, get them all together. It's just like, it's, it's epic, you know what I mean? It's just like you, you get too close to you, and then the other one runs away to try to get this stupid, perfect photo. And so this family's trying to wrangle them, and so the father just got to do what he's got to do because they're going to snap the photo, and so the wrangle becomes a dangle. Check this out. Yeah, so got to make it work, got to make it work, you know, the wrangle to the dangle, yeah, so, and then sometimes you just don't care, sometimes you got family photos, and it's just like, you know, we're not going to dress all up, we're not going to go out somewhere, we're not going to go to some special place for it, we're just going to get on the couch, come on, everybody cram in, we're going to take a family photo, and it's kind of sloppy, and it looks like this. All right, not bad, right? But what about poor Uncle Bob on the bottom right down there? Can you see him there? <laughs> was it a room? <laughs> what the heck? Anyway, this next one, this next one just frightened me. This next one, I think the parents were, were really kind of masochistic. I don't know what the word is, but they were just, they were apparently very, you know, their kid was, I guess a misbehaved kid, a little miscreant, a little, maybe a little, little demon. And so they, they just, they marked their kid and took the picture. Look at this. What? That's just wrong. That's just wrong. That's just wrong. Straight up wrong. Turn neighbor and say, that's wrong. So here's the thing about family photos, all right? It just, it makes you think about crazy families. What kind of family must that be? I mean, that's straight up crazy. But here's two predictions I want to give you about your family. The first one is you cannot pick or choose your family, okay? We heard the old phrase that you can, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. You can't choose your, come on, everybody, family. You can't choose your family. You're like, I don't want to say it out loud, all right? I can remember being like in middle school and... And you probably, if you're honest, you've had thoughts like this at different time. You know, I wish I was in that family. I mean, that family seems so awesome. That family seems so great. I wish I could be in that family. I can remember being in middle school, and I'm getting off the bus, and, 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 and this other kid's getting off, getting out of a car. He's getting out of, like, a Cadillac Escalade with a hot mom. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could be in that family. You know, she's like coming out in stilettos and everything's looking good. And he's got his Nike Cortez Izod shirt on and he's just popping, you know, loaded. 
you know, and, and maybe it's another family and they're super cool dad, you know, he's super athletic and he plays baseball with his kids all the time. You're like, I wish I could be part of that family. How did I get, you know, how did I get in this family? Or, or, or you talk to your friends and, and they can't, they can do things you can't do. They're having Skittles for dinner. And you're like, what? That's awesome. Skittles for dinner. Middle school madness. You just thought it was awesome. So sociologists actually say these are generalizations that we come from three types of families. Uh, the different types of families are the closed, open, and random. Closed, open, and random. Now, let me try to describe these types. And you're going to probably find yourself going to one of these lanes, one of these kind of buckets. For me, it's, it's, there's no question I came from more of a closed home. This is the super organized, super structured Super disciplined kind of home. Kids, in, for, before school, you're up, you know, at, at, at 7, you know, on the dot, or 628 on the dot. You got to be at the breakfast table at 645, teeth brushed, clothes on, backpack ready to go to school. You know, and your mom's going to be there, and she's going to have a protein, and she's going to have a starch, and she's going to have fresh OJ, right? And you better get through all of that, and you better go back, and you better clean things up, and you better put your dishes in the sink, and because she's rolling out at 729, and if you're not in the car by 730, she's gone, except on Mondays when dad takes over because she's homeschooling the two younger ones. <laughs> Some of you are like, whoa, you know, it's a little crazy, you know, and, and at night, it's got a structure to it. Monday night is etiquette night. Tuesday night, you know, is, is you know, uh, pasta night. And Wednesday night is liver and onions, and you're going to like it because it's New Testament here in our house. <laughs> That's how we roll, right? And if you don't like it, then you're going to get one of these. <laughs> Several of you just went, <gasps> memories, <laughs> feelings. Sorry. Anyway, I'll try to stay away from that. That was my home growing up. I grew up in a closed home. We had like routines and we had schedules. And, and this is not, I'm not making this stuff up that I'm getting ready to tell you. Okay? This is the truth. All right? I had a schedule. My dad came out of the military and he put us in the military. We had what's called man plans. I was five years old with a man plan. You don't know what a man plan is until you've had a man plan. A man plan is your morning, afternoon, and night schedule seven days a week. And it was taped to my door. So when I got up, there is no excuse, son, for not knowing what you're supposed to be doing right now and how you're supposed to be doing it. And so every single day, I had to look at this schedule. And the schedule said, Derek's daily duties. <laughs> and then you go down the hall to Janelle's room, and it said, Janelle's general guidelines. <laughs> then you go down the hall, and you see my dad's, and it says, Ernest's endless endeavors. <laughs> And then you went to my mom, who was the master delegator, and it said, Randa's reasonable requests. Because <laughs> she could shell it out, everybody. That's how it was in our house. Now, my, now some of you come from a more open home. This is, this is organized, and it has structure, but not as much. You know, kids are up at like 7-ish. You know, kind of 7-ish. Dinner's like 5.30 to 6.30-ish. You can live in the ish in the open home. Friends can drop by, but we're not a hospital. You know, people can sleep over, but you got to ask permission. You can do it just a few minutes before. That's okay. It's a little more open. It's a little bit more flexible. An open home has a little more flex. Their best ability is flexibility. And then you have the random home. This is the opposite extreme of the closed home. In this home, kids sleep wherever they want at whatever time they want. And the TV is always on. In a random home, you might have a kid in your bed till they're 13 years old. I know somebody that had a kid in their bed till they were six between the mom and the dad. How many know that's going to cause some problems in the marital relationship? Don't raise your hand. If you're in that category, praise the Lord. In a random home, you can eat whatever you want. Kids are having Mountain Dew for breakfast. They might have ice cream for breakfast. It doesn't matter because we just want you to be happy. We want you to have joy. And in a random home, you can have people coming into your home, getting into your refrigerator, and you don't even know who they are. <laughs> you can have people sleep over, and you don't even know who they are. That's a random home. So, which one, don't answer out loud, but which one describes your family life growing up? See, again, mine was closed. 
Mine had structure. From the moment you got up, we had devotion. Some of you won't know what that is, but it's kind of like before we start our day, we're going to have some time with God. Bless God, we're going to have some time with God, and you're going to be happy about it. And so we had breakfast, and it was all structured. And there's and then we had Dad come out, and he would preach the Word of God to us from the King James Bible. And my friends who were on the upside of the neighborhood, they would, they would walk down to the bus stop. And as they were coming down, they'd stop at my house because they wanted to walk together. Somehow I had friends. And my friends would come, I don't know how, and they would wait on the landing where my dad in the kitchen was preaching thunder from God's word. Not sitting, just telling us a nice story and, and character development. No, I'm talking straight up spitting fire. So that the neighbors here, so the kids get saved before they go to the bus stop because God could return before the bus arrives. We could all be raptured and you all miss it. You know, this is how my house was growing up, everybody. <laughs> You're like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to work out some of my childhood in front of you right now. <laughs> yes, I am. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. We had to like dress right, talk right, manners, etiquette night on Monday nights. Etiquette night. I'm not kidding. You're like... He really should be messed up. I know. We had etiquette night on Monday nights. We, had, we read from the etiquette book. We, learned, we had a little story about it. And then we had to practice the soup the right way and setting up the table the right way and folding a napkin the right way. And then my dad and I would always burp and pass gas. And so we had to put quarters into a jar. And so we were broke at the end of etiquette night. And anyway, that's how it went. Praise the Lord. My parents will be here in the next service, and it will be a completely different service. I just want you guys to know that. <laughs> totally straight up different. My wife's home was more open. It had discipline for sure, uh, I had, it, but it wasn't as disciplined as mine. It had structure, but it wasn't as structured. And so when we got married, these two worlds <laughs> collided. So my, my wife loves to be around people. She's energized being around people, having people over. Their house was a revolving door, just people coming in and out and in and out. And I like people too. I do, I do, but the house better be perfect before everybody comes over. And so for her, that didn't matter as much for me. I was like, oh, you know what I mean? we got to have straight lines in the lawn. You know what I mean? we got to have everything immaculate. It's got to look like a museum before everybody comes over. And so those two worlds collided at once. It's quiet in this Catholic church. I might have hit a nerve right there. <laughs> so I want you to consider these things kind of as we're talking because these two things can create tension over these particular differences. So you didn't choose your family. Everybody say, I didn't choose my family. All right, here's the second reality. Your family is not perfect. Your family's not perfect. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. We all have issues. We all have a less than ideal. None of us come from perfect families. We see this in Scripture, too. The Bible shows over and over again, my wife did this a lot last week, the imperfections of families within the Bible. You see, early is Adam and Eve, you know? Uh, 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 Adam abdicates his role. Eve kind of steps out a little bit too far, and then Adam turns around and blames Eve. You see, the first manifestation of a passive-aggressive husband shows up there in the book of Genesis, you know? And then they give birth to two kids, and the first person ever born was Cain, the second person ever die was Abel at the hands of his brother. I mean, have you ever, how many have kids? Anybody have kids? Anybody wish you did? No, I'm just kidding. Anybody have kids? <laughs> have you ever had your kids and, you, and they're fighting and you're thinking, they're going to kill each other. They're gonna, yeah, that's Old Testament. That started way back here. You know, if you, how many have a brother or a sister, okay? Have you ever wanted to go Old Testament on them yourself? Okay, all right, so. This, this was going on in the Bible back then. In fact, the picture I'll show you in a second is we need to learn how to get along. And I remember with my kids, they would fight. They would bicker. My, my mom and dad used this word, bicker. Stop your bickering. I never, know, I never knew what that meant. Bicker, 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 bicker. Just sounds like fighting. It sounds like a woodpecker. Bicker, bicker. And so stop your bickering. And so we learned from them that if the kids were bickering, we're going to force them to get along. So we would make our kids hug even while they were angry. And those were always funny moments, you know. But I saw this picture online, I thought, this is way better because now I can just stand back and we can just pop one of these on. This is what you need to do if they're not getting along. You need to give them one of these <laughs> just to get along shirt, everybody. I am dropping some wisdom in here right now. <laughs> That'll work. That'll preach. See, Joseph had brothers 
and, and, and think about their family dynamics. You know, their brothers lie to their father and say, yeah, Joseph, he was killed in a hunting accident. I mean, it's terrible the kind of things that you see in the Bible. You go on and you see David has a, commits adultery with Bathsheba, eventually takes Bathsheba to be his wife, has a child. That child grows up, this, this, this handsome, good-looking kid, but he, but he endears the nation to himself, and, and, and he rebels against his father, and there's a civil war. Right, And what's interesting, and the reason I go through this is so many times we say, we need to go back to strong biblical family values. What? Look at what's going on in the Bible. But what I love about the Bible is it gives us real life stuff. It shows us and provides for us identification. And at the same time, you see the forgiveness of God. You see the, the restoration of God. You see the redemption of God if we look at the principles that he has in his word. Can I have an amen? And so there's two things every family needs in order to be successful. Uh, we, we need these two balanced um, principles as we go forward, but they're taken from Colossians chapter 3. Look at Colossians chapter 3 with me, and you're going to see two strategic relationships in here, one between spouses and also one between children and parents. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Interestingly enough, in the royal wedding, they took the words out from the Bible, uh, from the vows, which come from the Bible, obey and serve. I don't know if you guys picked that up in the royal wedding. It's because there's so much abuse and misinterpretation. If you saw the proper balance and the context of what God's trying to say. In other words, if men did a really good job sacrificially laying down and loving their wives like Christ loved the church, then a wife would have no problem coming under that kind of a leadership out of protection, not out of restriction. What if we had a more balanced view? But instead we just throw the Bible away and say it doesn't apply to us anymore. That's the mistake we're making today in our world. Amen? So wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love, remember that word, your wives and never treat them harshly. Next it says, children, always obey your parents. Always, always, always. One translation says, in everything, in everything. Another scripture says, honor your father and mother. Listen, children, young people. That, that's all ages, by the way. We, we still, I still, this still applies to me at 50. Honor, it says in uh, uh, Ephesians 6, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you live long on the earth. I don't know. I want to have a good life and I want to live a long life. How do you do that? Honor. Honor, right? So we honor our parents. So children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. When he's pleased, he'll take care of you. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Now, you'll see this. Translation, sometimes it'll say exasperate. Don't exasperate your children. Uh, do not aggravate your children. Why? Because sometimes fathers have, fathers' words weigh like five. Please take this in context. This is, this is statistical and scientific, not just biblical or opinion. A father's words weigh like 500 pounds to a mother's words which weigh like 100. In other words, when, when a father says something authoritative, it has more, oh, power to it, weight to it, strength to it than when a mom says it. It's kind of like my mom says, you're going to get spanked, or you're going to get punished. Or I was like, okay, mom, whatever. But when dad said it, I was like, oh, is everybody tracking with me out there? Okay. But there's the flip side of that. You, because that weight is there, men, fathers have to be tempered. So the Bible's saying, guys, hey, listen, be careful that you don't go too far with it. Otherwise, they rebel. They'll become discouraged. Everybody tracking with me out there? And so there's two words that kind of come out of uh, this particular scripture that helps every single family. And the first one is you got to have love. You got to have love. And the second one is you got to have discipline. Everybody say discipline. Love and discipline. They're like, they're like two sides to the perfect parent. Now, you can apply this to all, all kinds of relationships, not just uh, parents to young children. This is all relationships. In fact, it's God's relationship to you and me. He's the perfect parent. He's the model parent. You want to have both of these things in balance. But these, these are like some broad guidelines that he gives us in order for us to be successful in our relationships. You can't have one without the other and be healthy. You can't just have discipline without love. You can't just have love without discipline. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 8 that, that God is love. doesn't mean he, lo he has love. He is love. He's the perfect embodiment. The, Jesus was to us on, from heaven to earth the physical 
uh, representation of love on the earth, sacrificial, demonstrative, giving love to us. You see love manifest in and through Jesus Christ, but you also see over and over again within the Bible, the Bible say things like the Lord disciplines those he loves. He chastens those he loves. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 6, the Bible tells us the Lord, uh, try to get this screen to come up. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So there's this misinterpretation because of the misapplication of discipline through humanity, not from God, but through people. And so sometimes because man does it wrong, we throw it out and we don't apply what God did right. Is everybody tracking with me right now? In other words, we look at discipline sometimes as something that's done to us instead of something that's done for us. God's disciplining us because he's trying to mature us. He's trying to protect us from future harm. He's trying to keep us on track so we can grow, kind of the, as it says in Luke 2.52, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God was doing that with Jesus when he was a child, and Jesus uh, is doing that with us as his children in the kingdom of God. And so the Bible makes this connection, 1 John 4, Hebrews 12, between love and discipline. So to try to demonstrate this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a sport that some of you know and some of you don't. How many has ever swung a bat before? Anybody ever seen a baseball? Okay, all right, praise the Lord. This will probably, this will probably work a little bit. So this is a baseball uh, field. Here we have home plate. We have the, the, the diamond. This is the bases. This is the outfield. And these are the foul lines, okay? Uh, and so love is one side, disciplines the other. For you to parent or influence people relationally that are going to grow you, you have a certain amount of freedom between the foul lines. In other words, I have four children. They are not all disciplined precisely the same way. Some need more over here, and some need more over here. There's a certain freedom inside this area. Is everybody tracking with me right now? But we have a tendency as parents, we actually have a certain bias, a certain bent naturally because of our upbringing, either to do the same thing that was done to us or overcompensate and go the exact opposite because of what was done to us. So we either pull way to the right or we pull way to the left because of the way we were raised. Is everybody paying attention so far out there, okay? So this is really relevant. So these two foul lines, uh, these two principles are like the twin engines of raising a successful uh, person. And, and, and before you can really appreciate that, you have to understand that God delights over you. He doesn't, he doesn't want to punish you. He's not mad. He's not like, you know, he's not like Zeus in heaven, can't wait to bust you when you make a mistake. That's not God. That might be what happened in your parental upbringing or your perception of what happened in your parental upbringing. No, he actually conceived you in love. Listen, listen, listen. You may not, your mom and dad may not have brought you into the world planned, but God did. I want you to hear that in the name of Jesus. You might not have been planned by your earthly parents, but you were planned by your, he your heavenly father. He planned you in advance. He delights over you, and he rejoices over you with singing, the Bible says. His actual radiant love, the Bible says, comes from heaven uh, to you. Not, not, you say, well, I don't feel it. That doesn't make it untrue. I, I was just with my grandson the other night, Zion, and, and, and he was crying, you know, like crazy. And his, he just, his little lungs are getting strong. His little body is getting stronger, and he's, ah! He's just screaming out, and he's just tired. And so I got, I got him tucked in here, you know, the little, like, little Heisman, you know, thing right here. And I got his little passy, popped it out of his mouth, and I push his little mouth up against my peck. And I'm like, listen, Poppy's a little stronger than you, Zion, so you're going to stay right here. And he's like trying to squirm out. I'm like, no, 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 you're going to stay right here, buddy. you stay right here. He's like, ah! And I just hold him like, it's okay, it's okay. Poppy's really taking care of you right now. You don't realize it, but I am. And he's like, ah! Two minutes later, you know, just purring like a kitten. He's purring like a kid. See, he may not feel like I'm loving him, but how many know I was loving him, yeah. right? And so that's sometimes the lie the enemy projects to you from heaven, and then, it, and then it's confirmed through the relationships that you have in your life, but it's not true. So discipline, love, they got to come in balance. My parents were strong disciplinarians. There's no doubt. I believe in the early years they did a, a pretty good job, and, and, and that's why I'm such a good boy. 
yeah, just, just check it out. Um, <laughs> but, but they used to spoon me, okay? I mean, I used to get spanked, okay? Now, don't freak out, everybody. Some of you are like, whoa, what's going to happen here right now? But I was spanked. And, and how, ma- how, many, how many relate to this a little bit right here? Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, so we're in good company here. So somebody, like, you know, some of you got whipped, okay? You know what I mean? I remember that Bill Cosby, you know, old, old story, you know, let the beatings begin, you know? And he, anyway, but... Um, I can remember when, when I would get in trouble, I'd always get in trouble with my sister. I had one sibling. We always got in trouble together. Now, the spoon was strategically located in the kitchen down the end of the hall, and then there was Janelle's room, the next room, and then there was my room all the way down the hall, and my dad would conveniently leave the doors open so we could hear the punishment that was happening down the hall. And so my dad would leave the kitchen with the spoon, and I, I, my sister, it was torment for me. It was torment because my sister, I could just see her in my mind's eye. She's like, no, Dad, really, I'm good. I'm good, Dad. I think I've learned my lesson. Listen, listen, wait, 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 he hasn't even got hit yet. I thought she got hit like 16 times because she was so crazy. <coughs> so then he come down the hall. I'm like, you know, I just bend over. Go ahead. Get it over with. You know what I mean? The emotional abuse was way worse than what you're getting ready to do to me. <laughs> Truth is, I was a rambunctious kid. I needed discipline. I was lazy, which is crazy because I'm a borderline workaholic now. You know, I'd tell lies and I would get in so much trouble for that. I can remember my mom, she was just so frustrated with me at times, and my dad would be gone for hours on end selling insurance, and so my mom would have to discipline me sometimes, which I loved. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, you should probably punish me instead of dad. Yeah, you're so much harder than dad. And, and, and so she'd go to your room, and she'd come in, and she'd give me a little speech, you know. Um, she's like, okay, you know, son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. You know, and I'm like, yeah, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever. Only... Only dad could say that. But then, but then she, she, she didn't know this, but once in a while, I had a big butt anyway, but once in a while I would load it with a little extra stuff inside there, like get a little magazine, tuck it in behind the jeans, behind the shorts. You know what I mean? I'm like, go ahead, bring it on, Mom. Let's see what happens right now. You know? <laughs> do it again. Do it again. <laughs> you know? Anyway, I'm just working some stuff out. Sorry. <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm really not here to talk about spanking, but somehow I get into that. <laughs> what I really wanted to emphasize is that my, my family is like your family in that we all have to raise our kids differently. In fact, I'm going to show you a picture kind of, this is a little older of my, my crazy family and their personalities. Instead, you can watch me drinking water if you want, but it's going to come up <laughs> right there. <laughs> but my kids were all different. And, and so you, you can have a different approach to each kid, but they have to have a consistency with each kid. All right, so Devin was not your typical firstborn child. In the beginning, he was very, uh, he was very fun and affectionate and loving and cra- just, just crazy, enjoyable, until he was about two. And then, <laughs> then after two, uh, you know, he, he, became, he became more obstinate, a little bit more difficult, and, and, and a lot, a lot of discipline with my son, Devin. He was stubborn, and, some, and later it became deceptive, and just tons of discipline with Devin. Turned out great, but he just, he needed more on that side of it. In fact, we sometimes get tired and, 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 and give up a little bit, and so we, we would overcompensate and go the other way. And, and then there was Mallory, my firstborn daughter. She was like very energetic, very kinetic, very, you know, she was like the life of the party. She was like a, a little mini-mite. Uh, if, if you saw her in a group, she was always the leader, but you couldn't see her because she was in the middle. There's just a big group, and like, where's Mallory? And then you'd, you'd get up close, and she'd be over the middle, like, okay, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. And, and, and if the kids were all playing church, she was the pastor because she wanted to be in charge. She was convinced pastor meant lead everybody and tell them what to do, not lead servant. And so she was always that kind of person, but she was a rule keeper. And so because of that, she was compliant with leadership, and she was obedient to leadership. And, 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 and if you didn't keep the rules, well, then she's going to tell you you're not keeping the rules. And so she had a hard time when people didn't keep the rules. And then when she got older, it was harder to read. Like, okay, because she was a rule keeper, sometimes she'd do things wrong, but we weren't sure. Did you, 
I remember saying to Stacy, like, is, is she, was, it wasn't as black and white anymore. It was in the gray. And did she do something wrong there? Is she manipulating us right now? Like, what's going on? And then we had Ma- Madison, my middle daughter. She's the lover. Super affectionate, super touchy-feely. She's a koala bear on a koala tree. To this day, she's still the same way. But back then, she was very sensitive. In fact, she could do something wrong, and I'd be like, Madison. <laughs> Mom, Dad spoke harshly to me. And I'd have to apologize to Madison for something she did wrong. I'd be like, this is so jacked up. What is going on? But she needed a lot of affirmation. And then Morgan, she's very strong, uh, very uh, secure. She's just kind of a vault of her emotions. You really couldn't read her. And and so sometimes she needs some strong discipline occasionally and some strong conversations. But because it was so occasional and infrequent, we had to reassure her that your perfect performance prior to this is not why we love you. We had to make sure that she knew that because you broke down on this one thing, you haven't failed and you're not a failure. Failure is not a person. It was an event, Morgan. And so there was, there was, there was some learning in the in-between there. So the approach was individualized, but we had to be consistent between those guardrails, those twin engines, those foul poles of love and discipline. Is everybody with me? When I got older, to connect with Mallory, I can remember my wife telling me, you know, because things have changed. I'm trying to connect with Mallory, and her door's shut. And I'm thinking to myself, I own this house. This is my house. I can go in in any room I want. And my wife's like, you need to knock on the door. I'm like, I don't need to knock on nothing. <laughs> I pay for this. She goes, honey, it's different. Just, just go and talk to her and then go in the room and, you know, sit down and put on some Taylor Swift or rub her back. You know, or something. And then she'll start talking. I'm like, are you serious? So, oh, okay, fine. So I go to, the, I go to her door, and I knock on the door. I go, Help, knock, 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 knock. She goes, who is it? I'm like, who is it? What do you think it is, Santa Claus? It's me. I'm like, oh, gosh. My wife's like, come on, be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool. So then I get in there, and I do what she said, and I sit down on the beanbag chair, and, you know, I just kind of chill and just try to think of something culturally relevant and just hang out and start rubbing her back. And, and all of a sudden, boom, she just starts talking and telling me all kinds of stuff. And my wife would be like, yep, see, you listen to me. You might get some stuff done in this house. <laughs> Point is, there's a zillion different ways to raise your kids, but it has to be inside those guardrails. There's great freedom between love and discipline, and God has these values, and the values are this, is basically grace and truth. Grace and truth. John 1.17 says that uh, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, the value of love is manifested in grace. The value of discipline is manifest in truth. Here's the thing we always say in our house is that grace always wins. Grace wins. Stupid thing. There we go. Grace wins and uh, truth is relevant. Grace wins and truth is relevant. Okay, so you need to have both in balance. Grace, if you want to have a healthy home, you have to have buckets of grace. Buckets of grace. And if you want to have a healthy home, you have to have a balanced uh, representation of truth. You just can't let anything go. Everything can just happen the way you want it to happen. As a pastor, sometimes, how does this manifest? You have to have a certain amount of grace to your population. You want to show people they're loved, they're accepted, they belong. That's part of my job. But the other part of my job to you as a church family is to tell you the truth sometimes and tell you that sometimes there needs to, there needs to be a certain reckoning of our behavior and our lifestyle, and we can't abuse grace. So we need buckets of grace, but we also have to embrace the prickly truth in order for us to be healthy and mature Christ followers. Is everybody tracking with me out there? So grace always wins. Truth is relevant. And, 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 and today we typically skew to one side or another. And, and how do these extremes, when you go to these extremes, let me give you this picture again of love and discipline. Um, there we go. Come on, baby. You got me. Here's, here's what's up. If you, if you go, we have this bent. If we go too far over here into truth or we go too far over here into grace, we have these two extremes. The two extremes are these. We have what's called permissive parenting or we have perfectionistic parenting. Permissive parenting or perfectionistic parenting. This is when the environments uh, get very, very extreme because we pull too far to the right or to the left. A quick story. I had this friend in my neighborhood. And this family, I think the parents kind of just 
had kids late in life. They were like oops kids. You know what I'm talking about? Oops, there it is. Um, had to do a song reference. Um, and so the, the, the parents looked exhausted. I think they're dragging knuckles. They got coffee 24-7, and they got these kids, and they're just done. They're just done. And so the kids were pretty much raising themselves. There was no boundaries. There was no consequences. There was no rules. There was no schedules. And my friends, it was like a circus. They would come to the bus stop. Here's the difference between me and them. When I'm getting ready to go out to school as a young, like, 10-year-old, my mom's pulling a beanie cap over my head, just, like, pulling it. It's got to go over your ears. It's got to go over your ears. Son. Keep that down over your ears. And she's putting mittens on that my Nana made with a string that goes all the way through to the other side so you don't lose your mittens through your jacket. You know what I'm talking about? On the way out, here's some cod liver oil so you'd live long. All right, go. Now, my friend, same, same age, comes out of his house. No jacket, no hat, no mittens. He's got sneakers with no socks. He's got a shirt unbuttoned all the way. He looks like a 70s rock band kid. And he's got an ice cream cone with, that unwraps with the chocolate on top, and we're all getting ready to get on the bus. How many know those are two different environments that we're coming from, perfectionism or permissive? Now, in the permissive parent, the goal for a permissive parent is to have a happy child at all costs. The goal for a perfectionistic parent is to have a well-behaved child. But that's not the goal. The goal for us as parents is to reflect God's love for us through our lives. We're not supposed to be over here too far or over here too far. And so one's trying to avoid consequences. One's trying to employ too many consequences. And we have these extremes. What happens as a result of these two extremes is you see kind of like some kind of toxic manifestations. We, we overcorrect or we, we give what we think is too much compassion. And as a result, we get these distortions. And the first distortion is this, license. Everybody say license. License is where we take advantage of grace and say anything goes. It's just anything goes in a house. That's the extreme. And then, and, you, and some of you that have been raised in certain church backgrounds, you'll understand this term because it definitely applies to church, but it can apply to home, is legalism. It's an emphasis of truth without grace. It's basically nothing goes. Nothing goes. These are the out-of-the-box distortions. What comes out of these things is terrible. I had a friend, his name was Greg. He was a Greek, and so his Greek name was Grego. And we used to call him Lego, my ego, Grego. And he grew up in a more permissive parenting home. Are you guys still with me? And in that permissive parenting home, he could do whatever he want. Now, my home, which was a perfectionistic home, if you were to hang out with me after school, you know, you'd have sliced apples, cheese, and supervised television. Let's all go to Derek's. <laughs> but if you went to Lego My Ego Grego's house, you'd get over there. Mom and dad were like, hi, bye. They're gone. No parental oversight whatsoever. You can eat white bread, soda pop, and Doritos from a trough. Just whatever you want, and you can watch Skinamax, I mean Cinemax, all you want. The first time I ever saw Cinemax was at their house because there was no rules, no structure, no oversight. I thought it was like awesome. Like it was like Babylon comes to earth, right? It was phenomenal. Who would want to go to that? But here's the problem. The results of those two extremes, the result of one extreme, my friend, he, he, he became addicted to drugs. Uh, you know, had a child out of wedlock, uh, a divorce, did some time, really messed up. Why? Excessive this way. You know, so if you have relationship without rules, it equals rebellion. If you have just rules and no relationship, it equals rebellion. Either side, either extreme, that's, what, that's why we want to stay inside the balance of love and discipline, grace and truth. And another friend on the other side, you know, couldn't, you know, had to wear pants all her life. She was a beautiful girl. She could never wear a dress or a skirt or anything like that. She couldn't listen to secular music because it was the devil's music. She got into college, went off the rails. Went crazy, hookups, shackups, drugs, all kinds of stuff, messed up, hasn't had a successful relationship to this day. Because of those two extremes. God is the perfect parent, and he wants us to be right in the middle. And as a parent, your job is to hit the ball right down the middle of the field in order to raise people up to be successful. God wants to do the same thing, and he's trying to do the same thing for you in your walk, walk with God. Amen? Let me give you a closing story. All, today's tons of stories. But let me, let me try to demonstrate 
what this looks like, because this is where it connected with me. Before this ministry started, 40 years ago, my dad started this in an inn in Uxbridge. It was called the Old Uxbridge Inn. As a businessman, he started having meetings on Friday nights. Amazingly enough, because of his personality and, and the call of God on his life, 200 people started showing up, and he's preaching. And The services were very different than they are today. And so the services could be three, four hours long. I mean, you heard Genesis to Revelation while you were there. You might have 12 worship songs. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And so kids, no kids programs, and so you just, kids were running around. And so we could get a break once in a while, but we weren't allowed to have soda because they knew that would jazz us up and we wouldn't sleep all night. And so I remember me and my friend just bumming quarters off of people to try to get soda from the soda machine. One, one night we got a quarter from from this particular guy, his name was Charlie, and, and we went to the soda machine, and the soda machine was classic Cokes. Some of you are not old enough to remember this, but some of you know what I'm talking about, the glass bottle, come on Jesus, do you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> classic Cokes. So we popped the quarter in, we're so excited because we're going to be able to get a Coke, and we popped the quarter in, nothing. And when you see two teenage boys staring at a soda machine that is not producing soda, what do two teenage boys do then? They... <laughs> so we start trying to shake this thing to get the cokes to come out, and they don't come out, and we're freaking out. And so my buddy's desperate, and he's sticking his arm up underneath there to try to get the soda machine soda to come out and produce the soda machine. Maybe he can find a button. He comes out. He goes, Derek, I can't do it. Your arms are skinnier. You go up in there. Things have changed since then, everybody. <laughs> so anyway, back then, I just had to pause for that because I'm 50 now, and I'm going to say that. But anyway... I get up underneath this machine in my skinny arms and I'm able to find this button and I hit this button. Coke comes out. Woo, baby. We pop that Coke. My buddy, here you go. We suck that thing down so fast it would make your head spin. And as soon as we're done and my friend looks at me and he goes, do it again. <laughs> so I get back up there again. I didn't realize it, but I went past the button and I hit it like 10, 11 times. And before you know it, things go and we're freaking out. We're like, oh my gosh, there's too many Cokes coming out. What are we going to do? And we're grabbing Cokes. We're putting them between our legs, between our arms. We got Cokes everywhere. Oh, oh, oh. And so we take off and we go down into the basement. And we're down in the basement. We're just popping. We get through like six Cokes. Then Sunkissed Orange comes, baby. And oh, yeah. And we're whacking them down. And we're probably like on our seventh Coke. We're like, we're like a human aquarium. And, this, and all of a sudden, we hear the door shut at the top of the stairs. And somebody's coming down the stairs. And it's this guy, Charlie. He's left church. He's left praise and worship, and he's coming down to us. We're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. So we're trying to put the Coke bottles behind us. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> Where'd you get all those Cokes? <laughs> we borrowed them. You know, <laughs> he's like, no, you stole those Cokes, didn't you? <laughs> well, yeah. And he goes, he goes, come with me. We're like, oh, my gosh, he's going to take us upstairs. He's going to tell my dad. My dad's going to, like, you know, he's going he's gonna, he's gonna, he's going down, you know. I'm like, oh, no. He's going to tell my dad I'm going to get disciplined so bad. And he didn't take us there. And he takes us to the manager of the inn. And we're, like, getting really nervous about what he's going to say. And he, and, and he goes, tell him what you did. Put the stuff up there. And we're like, <laughs> all these glass bottles, empty Cokes and full Cokes. And, and the guy, he was just super merciful. He was just like, whatever. Boys will be boys. And so Charlie goes, no, 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 no. No, boys will be boys. And he pulls his wallet out, and he pays the bill for all those Cokes. And, and he says, say you're sorry. And we said, we're sorry. And then we walk away. He goes, guys, come here. Come here. Come here. And he pulls us over in a corner. He gets down on one knee, and he's like, he goes, Derek, Steve, listen. You need to understand something. Character is doing what's right when no one's looking. And in that moment right there, I saw the perfect balance of love and discipline. He could have busted me so bad. I could have got my butt tanned by my old man. He could have just let me off the hook because that guy at the end, that manager would have let me off the hook. But he showed me that perfect balance. And listen, Jesus Christ did the same thing for you. He came from heaven, from his praise and worship service. And he left that meeting. He came down to earth. And he saw you in the basement of your life sinning making mistakes, being foolish, making excuses, violating God's word. And then he paid your bill for your sins on the cross. He, that's what he did first. He showed you grace that you didn't deserve. 
And then he came alongside after that. And for those that received that grace, he said, now I'm going to show you how to, how to live your life. You're not saved by that, but you're saved to do things right, to live right. Jesus modeled that for you and for me. Some of you, you haven't experienced that kind of grace. And some of you haven't embraced the prickly truth that you sin, that you're not perfect. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray for you. You might be here today, and for the first time, you're connecting with what Jesus did for you. See, he's the perfect parent, God the Father. He sends his son down into this messed up, crazy world from his perfect world to make your world right. But for you to have that world right, you got to receive grace. For you to receive grace, sir, man, boy, or girl, you have to embrace the prickly truth that you are a sinner, that you have fallen, that you, you actually need to be punished for your sins, but Jesus took that punishment upon himself. He paid your bill, and because of that, you should be grateful, and because of that, you should be thankful, and because of that, you should want to live a godly life from now on. But first, but first, you have to have that revelation. And if you're here today and you know God's speaking to you, I want to pray for you right there where you sit. In fact, I want all of us to pray together. Maybe this is something you're going to be praying for the first time. The Bible tells us to confess it and then believe it and then acknowledge it. If you're here today and you know you need to pray this prayer, just say this with me. And those that already have done this in their life, say it with me. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my life today. I thank you for your love that was demonstrated towards me even while I was a sinner. You died for me. You paid my bill. And I thank you also that because you love me, you will chasten me sometimes. You will discipline me sometimes because you love me. I receive that kind of love right now by grace through faith in Jesus' name. Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, I pray you seal that in their heart. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died, that he lived a sinless life and he rose on the third day, we'll be saved. And I thank you for that in accordance with your word all over the Bible. And I pray, Lord, you witness to that to them in Jesus' name. With every head bowed still, still closed, eyes still closed, if you just said that prayer for the first time, now's your chance to, to, to acknowledge that. You've confessed it. You believed it in your heart. Now raise your hand and say, that was me. Go ahead. Raise your hand and say, that was me. Don't be afraid. One, two, three. That's good. Anybody else? Four. Thank you. Anybody else? Five, six. That's great. Anybody else? Don't be afraid. Thank you in the back there. I see your hand. That's awesome. God bless you for that. God bless you for that. You can put your hand down. Come on, church, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for those decisions that were made. God bless you guys. It's been an honor. Come on up, Richie.